The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Good morning, uh, dear friends. Uh, thanks for tuning in and just being part of this. Uh, we can't call it church, but we can call it a time of, of worship. Because worship is to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength through the hearing of His Word, through the preaching of His Word, through the reading of the Word, through singing to Him, through acts of, of praise, uh, acts of giving, right? Adoration. It's all worship of, of God. And I think just in our various uh, settings, of course we can do that. And um, let's trust that it's temporary. Um, friends, I want to say that this is the third lockdown um, the South African churches have had to endure. And so needless to say, it has really discouraged many of us. And so I, I, I don't want to say, but you know, as if you're a true believer, then surely um, you should feel the same way that I do at this point. Uh, that's discouraged. Truly, it's a, it's a uh, setting of discouragement, but we need hope, amen. And friends, that just you know that brings us to this morning's theme. Now, this is what I want to share with us this morning um, is 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12 through 17. And the theme is hope for the discouraged. Uh, so, let me pray for us, let me give thanks, and we'll dive into God's word in a, in a moment. Lord Jesus, we, we just pray um, for our loved ones. Every one of us by now knows someone who has been infected by COVID. Um, in the sense that we've either tested positive, uh, in the sense that it has affected our livelihood, it has caused us physical, emotional, spiritual harm or discouragement. And so we want to look beyond this discouraged setting of COVID. And we want to know the assurance of, of our hope in you and the promise and, and then just the assurance uh, of that, that reality, Lord Jesus. So now as we just come to your word, I pray that you would bless us and that we know this goodness that you have uh, already promised to us. And so we give thanks and we pray this in your name. Amen. Now friends, um, please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And that's where we'll spend our time this morning. Just kind of just diving into the context of, um, or the discouraged context, but also the assured hope. So I want to read for us, get to the outline, and, and, and pray that God would, would work in your hearts um, as, as we participate in His Word. So from verse 12, I read, Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of the word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. God's word points us to hope. Amen? Hope means to trust in, or to wait for, to look for, or desire something, or someone, right? Uh, to expect something beneficial in the future. That's very loosely defined. The Old Testament, however, describes hope in the sense of trust. In Jeremiah 14.22, the prophet addresses God saying, Our hope is in you. And so Old Testament believers were also encouraged to wait for God, hopefully or expectantly. Okay? In fact, God promises that those who wait for Him will not be disappointed, says the prophet Isaiah in chapter 49, verse 23. So this clearly teaches us that God is able to bring about the realization of our hope. Therefore, we can say that God is the true object of hope. The New Testament also consistently emphasizes hope as trust. Paul writes about the setting or setting our hope on God in 1 Timothy 4.10. Setting our hope on Christ in Ephesians 1.12. Paul further tells us that hope doesn't disappoint us. Romans 5.5. 5. And the reason for this, the reason in that context, is that we already have a taste of the future glory because of the love with which the Holy Spirit fills our hearts. That's hopeful. Amen? That's encouragement. And so God's Word tells us, in summary, when we hope for something, we wait for it through patience. So when we hope in God's relief, we wait for it. Patiently. We expect it, but we wait until that happens, right? So God's Word tells us that hope is the proper response to the promises of God. More generally, we are told that the Scriptures produce hope. Romans 15 verse 4. Later in, in Romans 15, the Holy Spirit is also told as a source of hope, for His power causes hope to abound. And finally, hope comes as a gift from God through grace. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 So, hope leads to joy. It leads to boldness. It leads to faith and love. Hope leads to comfort. And that's why we, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And these few verses... To go from our discouragement to a place of bearing hope in the face of everything. We really want to know hope. So, point number one. 
is the discouraged context. The discouraged context. Verse 12 to 13, it tells us, uh, When Paul came to Troas to preach Christ, there was a door that opened for him. But verse 13 tells us that his spirit was not at rest because he didn't find Titus there. And so he moved on. Now in the context of the Corinthian church, Paul knew deep disappointment. In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 6, it tells us that he was depressed. Because sin after sin followed one another to such a degree that when he concludes this letter in chapter 12 verse 20, he says, I fear that perhaps when I come, um, I may find you not as you wish, or as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. So, Paul is discouraged by the Corinthians. This is a church that boasted of all the gifts. Yet, this is a church that was divided. This is a church that was, I don't know, worldly, okay? They fought each other. They sued each other. Some of them were involved in sexual sin. Another reality is they dishonored the Lord's table. And in addition to all of this, there were false teachers that had happened to come into the church who managed to deceive the leaders and the members and and try and turn them against Paul. So that's a lot to be discouraged about. On top of this, Those who hated Paul and the gospel in Ephesus started a riot. Acts 19. So, this is a guy that really needs to be comforted. Now, in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you may be sorrowful, but that you would, might know the love which I have, especially for you. Sure, it's deep. Yet it seems as if Paul is on the brink of heartbreak. So he sends out Titus. He wants to know how they responded to his letters. Bringing it to our text, right? He had come to Troas. He's discouraged um, because his departure in Ephesus was caused by a riot, all right? So it comes to Troas, and we can assume to start a church or to evangelize in the area. Because first of Acts 16 tells us that Paul had, had been here before, but there was no church. Then later, when we read in Acts 20, um, we find a church there. So perhaps he founded this church in this brief visit. Now, verse 12 tells us, a door was opened for me in the Lord. So Paul didn't necessarily plan to go there and you know, establish the church or whichever. The Lord was doing the work in this brief time. Now this would be 
a great situation or scenario for a minister who's discouraged. But look at verse 13. Paul says, I had no rest for my spirit. It tells us he hasn't gotten over the pain of the Corinthian church. Even a ministry opportunity brought him no relief. So, what we read in our text is this. He didn't find Titus. Titus was on his way back to Paul, uh, who was coming from Ephesus. Titus was going to give feedback on how the Corinthians responded. But Paul hasn't seen Titus, right? So he's discouraged. He doesn't know where these people stand. And being burdened, being overwhelmed, Paul leaves. (laughs) He turned away from an open door, um, taking leave of them. Now hopefully you'd agree, it's hard to imagine such a man of God to seem so hopeless. I mean, Paul really looks as if he is stretched out. However, isn't this the reality that overcomes you? That in times you have or are in a discouraged context? I mean, besides COVID, which, by the way, we can't get past. Truly, this is a time of of great discouragement. Churches are closed. Uh, We can't move as perhaps we would like. Some of us can't operate businesses as we like. So we can't take care of our families. Um, We worry about them. Really. If if you're not, you know, discouraged just in the COVID setting, there are other things that cause us discouragement. You know, heartache. Friendships that fail. Marriages that, that, that are being tested. Children-parent relationships that have gone sour. Um, Losing your job. Whatever it may be, there are various contexts or discouraged contexts. Now, Paul's was this. Just being so burdened by the Corinthian church. And really... We can overcome a discouraged context. So that's a promise, right? In Scripture. Because it points to hope. But when you don't understand hope, when you don't have a theology of hope, how do you get out of that? Paul becomes an example of how to respond in the face of discouragement. And as our example we can know the assurance of hope. The assurance of hope. From verse uh, 14 through 17, um, Paul reminds us. Now, there's a change, right? In verse 14, he says, But thanks be to God. There's a change here. Somehow, Paul is reminded of his hope in Christ. And so he uses the word triumph. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Excuse me. Now, I want to use an illustration. Kind of just build a setting here. 
In the Roman context, the highest honor that could be given to a victorious Roman general would be this, a triumphal procession. The Roman general, who would have been the commander-in-chief in a field army that had finished a campaign over an enemy, would receive this triumphal procession. Now, there are some specifics to this. Once overcoming the enemy and winning the battle and coming home, the victorious troops must have come with him. 5,000 of the enemy's army must have fallen in a single encounter. There must have been a gain in the territory. In other words, you must have moved forward on the enemy lines. This qualifies um, you know, this victorious general to receive a triumphal march. Then, in this procession, the general would march through the streets okay, of Rome to the capital. He would have the state officials and the politicians right in front of this march. Behind these guys would be the noisemakers, the, the trumpeters. And following the trumpeters would be the, the, the conqueror of the land. You know, whatever precious um, they, treasures they, they took from, from the land they had con conquered. Then, following them would be white bulls that have been offered in sacrifice to the gods uh, for giving this victory. And then, the captives from the battle would follow behind. Now, these guys would be imprisoned almost to immediately be executed. That's quite dark, isn't it? Anyway, there would be musicians playing music of triumph, um, the priest would be singing their, swinging their um, senses, and I mean, this would cause an aroma, you know, a fragrance. And at the back is the man, all right? At the back of this is the conquering general. And he would be pulled by a chariot um, of four horses, you know, kind of robed in purple. So it's quite scenic. I want to. Imagine that as all these things take place, behind him comes the army, uh, dressed in their attire, singing or shouting, triumph, triumph, triumph. So, that would be the assurance of a sealed hope, that these guys, you know, this is done. We don't have to worry, it's, it's been taken care of. That's perhaps what Paul sees when he says, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Paul's remembering that, wait a minute, in Christ, all things are taken care of. Beyond my discouragement, Christ is my hope. Question here. You might be wondering, what's the point? Paul remembers that Christ wins. That's our hope. So I want to just share a few points for us to experience hope. If we want to experience hope in a discouraged setting, friends, 
we have triumph in Christ. And so under our, our second heading is, is this. We are part of His army. We are part of the Lord's army. Now that sounds very Sunday school. <laughs> but that's a beautiful reality. It's a beautiful reality. Verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. He is leading us in this victory. And that's the beginning of our hope. We walk in Christ in victory. But we're not waiting for the victory. We're not anticipating the victory. He has already won. <clears throat> Friends, at the end of his life, um, in, in, in 2 Timothy, Paul said, At my first offense... No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through the message, or through me, the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles, so that they may hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, Paul's hope was set on the Lord's triumph. And we're in this victory parade, not as captives, not as prisoners, but as conquerors over sin, over death, over hell. We're part of the victory. And so the scripture tells us that Christ will come back. He's going to come back as King of Kings. He's going to come back as Lord of Lords. He's going to come back to reign. And we are in Him, in His victory. That's hopeful, isn't it? That is hopeful. Now, as I come to you know, the second point under this, just remember back, you know, when I explained the, tri the Roman triumphal uh, procession, there would be priests carrying censers, uh, burning a strong fragrance, alright? Now this would create a sweet aroma, which was known as the smell of victory. You ever heard people say, um, I smell victory, right? Anyway... Paul applies that to himself saying, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of all or a fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. That takes us to the second point of hope. We are a sweet aroma of Him. Verse 15 and 16, it says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? See, my dear friends, 
when we're overcome by despair, um, you know, I hope you, 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 you can't agree, but a common thought is this, does my life really matter? Ask almost anyone battling with a sense of depression, does my life really matter? Listen, not only are we in the Lord's army, already marching in victory, we are a sweet aroma of the gospel in every place. So yes, your life as a believer truly matters because when the gospel is brought forward through your life, in, in word or in deed, the knowledge of God is, is spread out. It is a sweet aroma. It's a sweet aroma in the sense that it's a fragrance of Christ to God. So your life matters more than what you can imagine, dear friend. Therefore. There's always a therefore. <laughs> therefore, you have to be faithful in the proclamation of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9 tells us to be pleasing to Him. Okay, As a fragrance, we have a life that has an internal, eternal impact on the people around us. An impact on those being saved and those who are perishing. That's why Paul says, to one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma... Of life to life. It means that your life witnessing the gospel reveals the condemnation to those who are perishing, but it also brings great reward to those who are being saved. 1 Peter 2, verse 6 through 8, puts it this way it says, Behold, as Peter, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. Chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. As they were destined to. Friends. Every time you proclaim the gospel. Right. The Lord is using that. As an aroma for his work. He's using you. And that should be hopeful. But no one's responding. It's just discouraging me more. The Lord is using you. For his work. How encouraging is that? That despite your discouraged context, the Lord will use you. That, friends, that is a source of encouragement. That is a cause for hope. That we are a sweet aroma of Him. Finally, what should give us hope in a discouraged setting is that we speak in Him. Verse 17, For we are not like so many 
peddlers of God's word, but as a men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The peddlers that Paul refers to are cheats. Okay, They are like uh, street vendors selling fake goods. You go to them on the streets, uh, you see all these branded clothing, but it's not the same quality. Still, don't think you're going to buy it for cheap. These guys are selling it under market, but they're robbing us, you, right? It's not the real deal. They corrupt what is meant to be for good. And so Paul refers to folks who corrupt the word of God purposefully for whatever reason. Now friends, it's a pleasure, right? No, no, it's a privilege to have a life that matters because every time the gospel is proclaimed, what's happening? Yes, we already have victory. We are the aroma of Christ. But we're witnessing the truth of Christ for Christ's glory. See, Paul came out of a discouraged context through the preaching of the gospel. This is also what led Paul to gratitude in the Lord. So in your discouraged setting, my dear friends, I want you to be aware of the promise in Scripture. The promise of an assured hope. We're already in an army that has already won. We are an aroma of Christ wherever we are witnessing Him. And we are spokesmen for Christ. We're the truth bearers, the witness bearers, right? And so I want you to find hope and, and comfort and assurance in this. Christ has won. Christ wants or is using you for His work. So you have the privilege to witness Him. To be pleasing to Him. So our lives matter. And the Lord is with us. We think, but you know, we're in this discouraged context by ourselves, carrying the burden by ourselves. The Lord is with us. And that is our great hope. Friends, cling to the Lord and wait upon the Lord. Know the sure truth and the reality. As Peter says, though we may suffer for a little while. We don't know how long a little while might be. For some, it's, it's a little long while. But in comparison to the joy in eternity, it is a little while. Don't lose heart. Don't be overwhelmed. Look to Christ. Christ ultimately can set us free from these burdens of sin, addiction. I mean, these are things that are adding to our discouraged context. Come to the Lord. Kneel before the Lord. Lay your burdens upon Him. Let Him free you. He is ultimately the true liberator, my friends. 
And so as we trust the Lord in a time where it might seem difficult for us, His Word is true and clear of what hope really means. <clears throat> and Him being our ultimate hope. Let me pray, friends. Jesus, we want to thank You for this Word and I want to just truly ask that we would be that we won't just be enlightened, but Christ, we would walk with the assurance of the victory we have in you. That we would lift our heads knowing that in our obedience, we are a sweet fragrance to you, of you. And finally, in our witnessing, to know that we stand before God. And we speak in you these truths. So I pray that you would help us just to have the ability and, 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 and to go out and witness to our loved ones. And, and give them this same hope. An eternal hope. So Lord we pray this in your name. Amen.